Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Hey, 1 Peter chapter 4, if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us. Rossville, Dalton at a campus, Rock Spring. Hey, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm, I'm going to preach an impossibly large portion of Scripture today as we move through this book of 1 Peter. I started the sermon series, Faith Through the Fire, Living for Christ in a Hostile Culture. And that's what we find here in 1 Peter. Just to remind you, uh, Peter wrote the book to the Roman church that was under intense persecution. Nero was emperor. Nero is going to take Peter's life uh, just three years after the completion of this book. And Peter wrote it to a group of people who were under physical persecution, financial persecution, um, social persecution because of their faith in Jesus. It's much like the world we live in today. It's how the world we live in today has turned against our Christian faith. It was not too many years ago that uh, the world celebrated Christianity, and now it's turned against us. Well, there are evidences of that uh, even in our news. I, I've been showing you a news article to start off every sermon. I, I'm going to do something a little different today. I saw this uh, while we were on vacation last week. I saw this article about Amazon One services. Now, let, let, me, let me just do a little end-time stuff. I'm going to preach this subject today. The end is near. And let me do just a little end-time stuff here for just a moment. Amazon, which owns now owns Whole Foods, announced by the end of the year that all 500 Whole Foods stores will allow you to pay with palm recognition at the store by December, which means this. You won't need your wallet. You won't need your checkbook. You won't need cash. They tie your palm print to whatever financial device you want it tied to. So, for example, it could be tied to your, uh, your debit card at your bank or credit card. And when you check out, all you have to do is wave your hand over a palm scanner and it will automatically pay for your groceries. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what is the big deal? And I'm glad you asked, all right? Let me, let me read some verses to you. Revelations chapter 13 says this, and talking about the beast and the Antichrist, and it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark the beast's name, or the number of its name. Now, what is this talking about? We, if you study prophecy any at all, we've said for decades and decades and decades that there's coming a day where we will either pay, according to this, with a palm print or uh, uh, your face. And we always thought it would be an embedded chip, a chip in your hand or a microchip in your face and you could scan your hand or scan your face well uh, people fought back on that people pushed back on that and they say there's no way 
I'm going to let the government implant a chip in me, and you would be right. That would be very, very not smart. So what we do is we just carry the chip around with us in our pocket all day long. And now, when I, the more I see it, the more I realize it's probably not going to be a chip. It's just facial recognition and palm recognition. Why does that matter for the end-time church? I, I believe it matters for this. There's coming a day when there will be a financial institution that you must agree with their standards in order to pay and have good financial standing. You say, does that mean if I pay with my palm, I've taken the mark of the beast? No, that's not what it means. It means if you agree to a certain code of and I use the word ethics very, very loosely here. For example, if you don't be, believe in inclusion for all, then you'll not be granted the privilege of the leading financial system in the world. And when Christians refuse because that code of ethics they'll ask you to adhere to when that code of ethics, because it violates the word of God, when you refuse to adhere to those, there will be stores that will not allow you to shop and buy because you're not connected to this one world financial institute. That's where we're headed. So Peter parachutes into chapter 4 and talks about the end. And I want to do that today. In a hostile culture, you've got to realize that I think our generation, our time, it will happen while I'm alive or my children or my grandchildren, without a doubt, the end is near. We're heading into the last days. We are in the last days. How should we conduct ourselves in the last days? I want to talk about it in chapter 4. Well, I saw this the other day. There is this, there is this, not a disease, it's almost a fear. There's this condition I read about called atomania. What is atomania? Atomania is the sense that the future is arriving ahead of schedule. Now you say, I I've never heard of atomania. I had not either. However, you live with atomania every day of your life. What does it mean? Atomania is your sense, your internal clock is telling you that the future is happening faster than it should be happening. For example, here's what atomania means. Atomania means this, that you look around and your children grew up faster than you thought possible. What happened? The future got here quickly. You know how that works with kids, right? One day you're changing diapers, the next day you're doing homework, the next day you're paying for the wedding, and the next day you're grandparent. It happens in four days. Right? I mean, it's just like that. That's atomania. Atomania is the sense that the year is moving too quickly. We're, uh, we're closer to Christmas than we are to January. 
Adomania is your feeling that your life is going by faster than it should. So for example, I still feel 18 right here, but the rest of me doesn't feel it as much. Adomania is the sense that your vacation is over before it started. That things, the future is arriving ahead of schedule. It feels like everything in your life is rushing to the end. Listen, it is rushing to the end. We are getting closer to the literal end. And truthfully, that's not going to make things better for the Christian. That's not going to make things easier for the Christian. Times are going to get tough for the child of God. The end is near, and the end is not going to be kind to those of us who follow Jesus and believe in this word. The closer we get to the end, the more difficult it will be to be a Christian in this culture. And the Bible warns us about this. The Bible says this, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. Paul said that to Timothy in 2 Timothy, in the last days. Listen, hard times are going to come. It's just a fact as we get closer to the end. He said this, to, Peter says this, 2 Peter, above all be aware of this scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desires jude said it this way they told you in the end time there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires that's where we are the culture we live in they scoff at our christianity they scoff at the bible they scoff at our morality they scoff at our ethics and they live according to their own ungodly ways I'm just telling you, as we get to the end, the end is not going to be very kind to Christianity. The end is near, and the end is clear. We are going to suffer for our faith. And how we deal with that suffering and how we deal with the end will separate us from the culture around us. So would you step, stand with me as we read God's word together, 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's just try to read it all, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. They slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that Although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Test you. 
as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Thank you. You may be seated. So here in chapter 4, Peter takes these 19 verses and he tells us how to act and how to react when the end is near. Now hear me this morning, the end is near. You said, well, Peter said the end was near. And the end was near when Peter was there, but it's never been more near. It's never been more near. The trip is almost over. You know how it goes when you're driving your kids to Disney World or the beach on vacation, you leave the house on a 10-hour drive, and before you got out of the subdivision, some, some kid asked in the back, are we almost there? And you say, we barely have left, but we're on our way. And they ask every step of the journey, are we almost there? But listen, every mile you drive, you're closer to the destination than you were when you started. Yeah, the end was near when Peter said the end was near, but hear me, the end is nearer than it's ever been. So Peter tells us how to act and react. Let me give you three things he tells us uh, concerning the end times. Number one, he said, when you get to the end, don't do what they do in those first six verses. Now let me tell you about the first six verses of uh, chapter four. They contrast the way we used to live and the way the culture lives now with the way we are supposed to live as we go forward. Now, he uses an interesting phrase. He says to arm yourselves. What, what do you mean by arm? He, he doesn't mean get a gun. He means to arm yourselves. The word meant to prepare yourselves. It means to uh, uh, get provisions necessary, meals necessary, ships, lap. It was if a, it was used of a ship who was going on a long journey. That word arm yourselves, prepare yourselves, was everything they had to put on a ship to get ready for the journey. It was used of soldiers when they would go out to battle, that they were to train for the battle. They were to get their weaponry in order. They were to uh, get courage in their lives. Now, in the New Testament, we get here. It's the only time, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, it's used, it's used figuratively and is the idea of Christians arming themselves with a mind or a thought that the end is near and we're probably going to suffer because the end is near. He, he says this, that we are to arm ourselves with understanding. That is, we are to prepare our minds, we are to prepare our thinking, we are to prepare our convictions, our attitudes, our notions, our perceptions. What are we supposed to arm ourselves with? He, he would say it this way, I think that we are no longer to live for human desires, but for God's will. What separates us from a lost and dying world? 
What separates a Christian, especially in the end times, what separates a Christian from a lost world and the way they live? Uh, Peter said it this way, that we are to no longer live outright for human desires, but that our passion should be the will of God. Peter said that before you were redeemed, you had plenty of time to live the way the Gentiles lived and do what the Gentiles do. He, he, he tells us, he tells us, uh, and by the way, you, you probably recognize your lifestyle in there, right? He, he said, you know, before you're saved, now this is how we live before we're saved, a, a, lot, of, a lot of us, and this is how the world's still living now. He uses these phrases, unrestrained behavior. It, unrestrained behavior is the pursuit of pleasure without guard for moral boundaries. The, the word unrestrained behavior in the Greek uh, meant this, and it's, it's a funny definition, but it meant wasteful sin. It, it, it meant you sin more than you really needed to. Like you went above and beyond in your sin. Like you get an A plus in sin. You got bonus points in sin. Unrestrained behavior. You sinned with no regard. For moral boundaries. He said you pursued evil desires. The word evil desires in the Greek is uh, typically a word that's wrapped around sexual sin. You were filled with drunkenness. It is an insatiable desire for alcohol. He, he uses the word carousing. Carousing is an occasion for excessive drinking. He uses the word orgies. Now, the word orgy in the Greek meant a, 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 a basically a sinful party. It meant, in the Greek times, it meant a drunken party, an excessive party. Now, we associate that word with sexual sin, and the reason we do is because they, they went into these drunken orgies, and the result became sexual sin because of it. But it really started with alcohol. Then he said, you lived in lawless idolatry. That is, worshiping something other than the one and true God. In that generation, it was worshiping yourself or even worshiping the earth. In our generation, it's worshiping yourself or either worshiping the earth. Peter said, "That's that's what they do. That's how they live. Peter goes on to say, get this, you've experienced this as a believer. They even get angry if you won't join in. Hey, if you won't be part of their idolatry and their orgy and their sexual immoralities and their parties and their drunkenness and their over above sin, if you don't get involved, see, here's what, just do your thing and leave us alone, but they won't. They get angry when you won't join in. But here's what we know. That is not the lifestyle we live for. We live to do the will of God. And all of those cultural and worldly pleasures have got to be set aside for a more important goal. The more important goal is the will of God. Now, here's the truth. Most Christians I know plan on living for God one day. They plan on doing God's will one day. You plan on abandoning the world and living for Christ. The problem is it just seems that day never really comes. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you plan on going on a diet soon? 
a post-vacation diet, right? You got to drop some pounds from the beach and wherever you may have gone. Scientists just did a study. I just read this study. And there's one day of the year when most Americans start a diet. Does anybody know what that day is? January 1st? You're close. Tomorrow. (laughs) When they surveyed Americans, most Americans said they plan on starting a diet tomorrow. Now, there's just one problem with this date of starting a diet tomorrow. 57% of American surveys always say they're going to start a new diet tomorrow, but never do. 76% believe there's an overwhelming variety of diet options, so it shuts them down. But the vast majority of Americans plan on starting a diet tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. Listen, most Christians operate their Christian life that way. We plan on getting right with God tomorrow. We plan on reading our Bibles tomorrow. We plan on forsaking that sin tomorrow. We plan on getting away from adultery and sexual immorality and idolatry and sin tomorrow. The problem is tomorrow never comes. And Peter would say, start today. The end is too near. Start today. Paul said it when he wrote to Titus. Paul said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul said this in the last times while we're waiting on Jesus to come. Deny godliness, deny worldly lust, live in a simple, a sensible, righteous, and godly way. How are we supposed to live in the end times? We don't do what they do. We live in a sensible, godly, righteous way. Do you know how much your lifestyle would stand out? If you just live in a sensible, godly, righteous way, pursuing the will of God. Too too many Christians are still tied to their old lifestyle. And we envy our old lifestyle. And we still talk like our old lifestyle. We still think, we still invest, we still live like the culture lives. And Peter said, as we get closer to the end, don't do what they do. Don't live how they live. Yes, they're going to get angry. Listen, when you don't go to the party, they're going to get mad about it. When you don't partake in what they partake in, they're going to get mad about it. When you don't agree with their immoral lifestyle, they are going to get mad. That's okay. You live in a sensible, a godly, and a righteous way because the end is near don't do what they do number one number two he said act how you ought to act he starts off the chapter telling us what not to do and then he starts uh picks up after there verse seven and tells us how we should act peter tells us how believers are to act in other words what the will of god looks like looks like for a believer well here's some things he tells us he tells us first of all we are to be alert and sober-minded for prayer. That is clear-headed and sane. If we get too excited about the end 
of our Christian life will we'll go skew. What do you mean? Well, there are all kinds of people. They just get too excited about the end, and it, and it shuts them down. We aren't called to be weird. We're called to be witnesses. And Peter said, increase our prayer life, right? We're to be alert. We know what time it is. We're to be sober-minded, sensible thinkers, and we're to stay in prayer. That ought to be the image of your Christian life today. Sane, sober, ready, and prayerful. He says this, how should we be working towards the end? He said, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. No Christian is an island to themselves. We have to learn to get along and learn to love one another in the end of time. You say things are that bad, huh? Yeah, things are that bad. Listen, Christianity should be the ultimate band of brothers as we love one another. What does that love look like? Proverbs chapter 10 tells us a little bit. I love this verse. It said, hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. Or the King James says, love covers a multitude of of sins. We ought to be so loving to one another that we, we're not angry with one another. We are bound together as a body of believers against the world. He goes on to say this, that we ought to be hospitable to one another without complaining. Now I love this. Hospitality is a Christian virtue. In Peter's day, they depended on it. They didn't have hotels and thing, restaurants the way we do today. Uh, Peter would often go from Christian house to Christian house, staying with them. But I love this. I love that Peter, God knows human nature so well. that He didn't just say, be hospitable to one another. Read it with me. Be hospitable to one another, what? Without complaining. Well, I may open my house, but I don't like it. No, no. Peter said, Peter said, you get close to the end, you, you ought to be more loving, more hospitable to one another. He goes on to say this, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. And he talks about speaking and serving and, and using those gifts. And I, I don't have time to get, get into all that, but here's, here's what we do know, that you, every child of God, as we get to the end, Every child of God needs to be plugged in using their gifts for the glory of God. You should be so in tune with your spiritual giftedness and using it to serve the church. So can I sum it up? Can I sum up what he said? Here's how I interpret what Peter just said. That as we get to the end, you ought to be a clear-minded, praying, loving, hospitable, serving, on fire for Jesus Christian. Because at the end, nothing else will stand. We're so used to our lives revolving around us that when we get to the end, you're going to have to come to grips with it won't be about you. That if you are not this, you, you may not make it. To the end. This group of Christians is so enamored with ourselves, we can't set aside differences for the cause of Christ. We've named this generation, right? Do you know what we call this generation? 
we, we call this generation the uh, selfie generation. Selfie generation. I'll leave it there for a second for those of you who want to take photos. Uh, selfie generation. Did you, did you know about this generation? Pe- I, I read this the other day about people who post a lot of selfies. And, and I, I'm not saying this to anybody in the church, but, you know, if the shoe fits, you know, have, have fun with it. But people who post more selfies than poses to their social media accounts tend to be viewed more negatively by others, a new study said. Researchers at Washington State University found people who took selfies were perceived by strangers to be less likable, less successful, more insecure, and less open to new experiences than those who didn't. If you look back over your social media feed and it's all a bunch of selfies, listen, we are the selfie generation, but what we need to become is the Jesus generation. And so Peter said, examine yourself. It's not about you. Are you in prayer, clear-minded, loving others, forgiving others, serving where God has called you to serve? Would you describe your Christian life as on fire? That is the kind of Christian that will make it in the end. Uh, Paul, Paul said this, now the Spirit explicitly says that in a latter time, some will depart from the faith. Listen, this self-absorbed Christian, if they even are Christians, they're not going to make it as the end. Uh, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew, many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Why? They did not have the stuff to make it through. Why? Because they were more worried about self than they were Christ. Be a Christian who is on fire for Jesus and focused on him. Act how you ought to act. Number three, as we get to the end, Peter said, verses 12 through 19, don't fail when they fail. Let me go back and read a a couple verses to you. Verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you. Notice this, to test you. As if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Peter said, in the end, there's coming a test. We're back to this idea of suffering Peter's already talking about. Some will suffer for their sin. That's not really suffering. Some will suffer for Christ, will suffer for being a Christian, living for Jesus. Here's the reality. When you suffer with Jesus, Peter's trying to get this point across to us. You will share in the rewards with Jesus. In other words, Suffering for your faith will one day play, pay well in the end. So look this way. We're in the end and here's what's going to happen. This culture is going to make fun of your commitment to Christ. This culture is going to belittle your narrow-mindedness. They are going to attack your morality. They'll belittle your belief in the blood of Jesus. They'll tear down your traditional marriage and gender ideology. And God forbid, if you mention the rapture, they will laugh in your face. And the Bible told us in the end, all of that would happen. And so Peter said this, the suffering we're going through here will be rewarded by Jesus over there. Paul said it. 
Paul, who had been belittled, beat, killed, brought back to life, said, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. That word consider in the Greek, uh, the King James uh, calls it reckoning. It's an accounting term. Paul literally saying, I've done the math. And the suffering of this present time does not compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us when all is said and done. Hear me, Christian, I know our suffering for our faith will never be easy, but rewards wait on the other side. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. Here's a painting of a a lady named Vibia Perpetua. She was a noble woman in the Roman Empire who lived in the 3rd century A.D. in Carthage. Emperor Septimus Severus demanded that she bow to him and offer a sacrifice to him. But she was a Christian. She was a married noble woman. Listen to this, young adults, 22 years old. She had just given birth to a small child at the time of her imprisonment. She had a servant named Felicity and others in the Christian community of her church that were sentenced to death in the arena. Her father visited her in prison and begged her to renounce her faith. Vibia pointed to a vessel and said, Father, could it be called by any other name than what it is? And when he said no, she responded, So also I cannot call myself anything other than what I am, a Christian. And days later, she and her friends were put in an arena with wild animals who mauled them to death. Onlooker said she faced it with dignity. And some of the animals refused to maul her as she stood. And soldiers had to enter the arena and run her through with a sword. It was March 7th, 203. There is a test coming to the child of God. The end is near. Are you still living the way you used to live? Jesus is coming. Are you acting the way and living the way a Christian ought to act? Jesus is coming. Would you pass the test? Of your Christian faith? Jesus is coming. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that message. And um, man, we, we are challenged and Satan wants to trip us up and he wants to make us act like the world and live like the world. And uh, Peter's calling the church uh, 
to live like Jesus. And that's what really what God wants us to do in the face of a culture that is against us as followers of Jesus. What should we do? We should be more like Jesus. You, you begin that by starting a relationship with Him that begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You've got to be willing to admit that to God. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, the blood that He shed paid for all of your sins. He actually took your place, took the punishment that belonged to you. He took it on Himself. And then you have to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And if God has spoken to your heart, you need to do that today. In the quietness of wherever you are, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day to pay the price for my sin. And Lord, right now, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, I ask You to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to You in Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, we want to say welcome to the family. We want to celebrate with you. We want to connect with you and help you take next steps because you're not done yet. There's some things, some practices you need to put in your life. And uh, we want to help you with that. And so um, we just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that. We're going to ask you like three questions. What's your name? What's your phone number? What's your email address? And I personally am going to connect with you uh, this week um, to celebrate and help you take next steps. Hey, it's been awesome to be together worshiping this morning online. Uh, I look forward to this every week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.